Well, it's good to be with friends today, family. Ah, it is just an honor to spend time with you. And uh, we're uh, just eager to hear what God has put on my heart and hopefully on your hearts. So today is part two of our series called Worth the Wait. And Chad and Karis' message, if you haven't listened to it, it's so encouraging. I listened to it three times, but I gotta tell you, I don't have a makeout story that got interrupted by the Holy Spirit. So when Sharon and I made out, we just made out. That was just so, just, just telling you that in case you were wondering. So if we haven't met yet, um, we've been here about two and a half years, and uh, you just welcomed us with open arms. Uh, you've ministered to us in tangible ways, and I look around this room, and you know who you are, and we're so grateful. Uh, we, we're grateful for our life group, for our, the prayer ministry, teaching your kiddos in, in uh, A-Kids, and shout out to my second and third grade boys. I love you. Um, and uh, just so many of you, and uh, we're just so grateful. So before we begin, can we just say that the Lord has a sense of humor, because the first message I'm preaching, and we'll see how it goes today, it might be the last, but it's about waiting. Um, I have a hard time waiting. Anybody have a hard time waiting? All right, then we're in good company, because I have a hard time waiting. I have a hard time waiting for my coffee to brew. I have a hard time waiting at a restaurant, right, honey? I have a hard time waiting. I have a hard time waiting for packages to arrive, and you think today, you know, ground shipping, first class, two day, one day, same day, it doesn't really matter. I have a hard time waiting. And when it comes to Christmas, well, I really have a hard time waiting. When I was a kid, I was always the first one up. You heard last week Chad talking about being a morning person. I, I'm like before morning. I'm a dawn person. I'm like up before the sun comes up person. And my parents, they just, I drove them crazy. They had to give me a game the night before just so I would do something, just so they could sleep in and get their coffee before we open up presents. And somehow, like I said, I think there's a few of you in this room who have a hard time uh, waiting as well. So he has given me plenty of opportunities to learn how to wait in major things in my life related to family issues, career, health, you name it. And over a cup of coffee, I'd be happy to share some of those in more detail. So suffice it to say that I've had to learn the hard way to wait. And one of those tough times was a couple years ago. In the fall of 2019, I was in a rough place and not waiting well. I was in a major career transition, working for myself to pay the bills. Thank you, many of you who gave me painting jobs. And seeking to do what was next. While that was going, I applied to over 50 jobs. And apparently, no one was really up for hiring a white guy in their 50s. Can I get an amen, okay? <laughs> uh, just keeping it real with family today, right? On top of that, Sharon was dealing with a nagging health issue. It was so bad, she just couldn't get any relief from it. I mean, it was on her mind all the time. She really didn't even know what was going on, and that's so frustrating when you're waiting and you don't know what's going on. Again, can I get an amen? It was driving her crazy, and honestly, I was like, I'd rather her get her relief than me get a job. It was that bad. Both of us were waiting, and we didn't know what to do. Not knowing the outcome, both of us were having a hard time waiting, waiting for direction, waiting for relief, waiting for the dawn to come. Unfortunately, we were not waiting alone. Our family was waiting with us. Our immediate family, Maddie, Grant, the guys in my small group, some are here today. Uh, you waited with us. 
and our life group, our prayer team waited for us. And thank you for those who waited and prayed for us. We're so grateful. And it was on November 3rd, 2019, thanks to Sharon's journal, I got this date right. Heather Zanako had a word for me. And it was a good word. I was all ears, because like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't waiting well. And the word Heather gave me was kavah. Kavah, it's a Hebrew word. Hebrew word for wait. Like I said, I was not waiting well. It couldn't have come at a better time. I needed God's perspective in the waiting. So I took a day of retreat with God and dug into this word some more. Literally, kavah, it means to bind things together like a rope or a cord. And figuratively, kavah alludes to this expectant hope or eagerly waiting. It's not passively waiting on your own, like I'm really good at, arms folded, grumpy, bitter, you know. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you all know. (laughs) But actively waiting with God to watch and pray. If there's one thing I want you to walk away today is watch and pray. It's like you're on tiptoes. Romans talks about it. It's like you're waiting on tiptoes, expectant for what's next. What's going to happen? And we see Kavah best used in Psalm 135 to 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. You know, imagine a couple of guards on the wall of a city gate. It's been a long night, and you're there with your buddy, and you're searching, you're alert, you're looking, you're watching, you're actively waiting. And yet watchmen, they're humans, right? They get tired. And they get tired. The night's long. Three, four o'clock in the morning. If you wake me up at that time, I am not good. (laughs) Sharon knows. They were just waiting for that just little glint of the sun's rays just to peek over the horizon. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you've been waiting that long, and you're just like, is it going to ever come? Just waiting for that long night. Is it going to be over? Because I'm weary. I'm waiting, but it's weary. And some of you are in that long night. I know. And you are longing for the dawn to come. And I pray that today is a day of hope for you. Okay? Dang. If you've had trouble waiting together as a community, we can watch with, we can wait with you. We can watch and pray with you. So I want us to dive into two stories of people who watched and prayed For those, it was worth the wait. Because some things, they're not really worth the wait, let's face it. But some things, yeah, you're going to, it's worth it. The first story is about two prophets who watched and prayed for the Messiah. The second story is about a small community of religious refugees, kind of like us, who watched and prayed like nobody's business. And this star has something to do with it, but you're going to have to wait for that. See how I did that? You're going to have to wait. 
So let's dive into this first story. Grab your Bible and something to write with, as Andrew likes to say, and we like to say, we're a Bible-reading, note-taking church. Okay, open up your Bibles to Luke 2, 25. Luke 2, 25. When you're ready, stand with me for the reading of the word. And uh, this, is a, this is an amazing story. The word of God. Luke 2, 25. And I will, Andrew, I've always wanted to say this. If you're with me, say, I'm there. I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Luke 2, 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, and he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, in your mind, underline that, that day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to call many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple. Underline that in your mind. But stayed there day and night, worshiping God and fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. And she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue at Jerusalem. Amen. You may be seated. So we find the story of Anna and Simeon in the same chapter as a traditional Christmas story, but they just haven't gotten the same press as, you know, the shepherds and the wise men. I mean, how many times have you gotten a Christmas card with Anna and Simeon on it, right? <laughs> but their story is incredible. They have a crucial role in the story of Jesus' birth, a lot to teach us about waiting. Now, Simeon and Anna encountered Jesus eight days after his birth when his parents took him to the temple for customary rituals that were required by the law. He came for his circumcision. I get very uncomfortable with that, just saying that. But that's why he was there, okay? And Sharon knows. She's like, you can say it, honey. You can say the word circumcision in church. It's okay. But that's why they were there. And Anna and Simeon were two of the last Old Testament prophets whom God used to testify that Jesus was the Messiah. And Simeon was the first to testify. So what do we know about him? Well, verse 25 says that Simeon was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. He not only knew the Jewish wall, I mean, this guy lived it out. And he wasn't just hanging around and waiting for the Messiah to come. Grumpy, waiting, tapping his foot. Not like that. He was eagerly waiting. 
He was watching. He had a sense of anticipation, like, like those watchmen, waiting, alert, expectant, like something amazing was about to happen. And why wouldn't he have this kind of anticipation? Back to verses 25, 26. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, folks, this was before the Holy Spirit was poured out to everybody at Pentecost. He had a special anointing. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, that's something worth waiting for. Okay? So no wonder Simeon was watching. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he had been given a promise to wait. Hold, wait, not yet. Not for a few days, not for a few weeks. You know how impatient I get. Simeon was an old man who had waited for years for this promise to be fulfilled before he died. And like Simeon, he knew the scriptures inside and out, folks. He would have likely known this promise that the prophet Isaiah wrote about hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. And you all know this too. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For us, a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Wow, just stop right there. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The government, his government and its peace will never end. Simeon was, not told, was told he would not die till he saw the Messiah, that wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So for years, he watched and he prayed and he waited with expectancy on tiptoes. And then one day, oh, it happened. That day, verse 27, that day, the spirit led him to the temple. I don't know, he just wake up having breakfast that day. One day, you may just be having breakfast, and the guy's like, it's that day. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. I'm there. That day, the Spirit led Simeon to the temple. That day, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple. That day, they met. That day, he took the child in his arms. I kind of get a little sense like Lion King, but that's kind of, you know, took the child in his arms and praised God saying, sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you've prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. That day, he was there. And for years, Simeon eagerly waited for the Messiah, as was promised. And on that day it happened, he held Emmanuel, God with us, in his arms. <laughs> I'll just take a time out and notice something about watching and praying, about waiting expectantly. God is always working, friends. He's always acting. There's more going on than you can see in your waiting. God's never late. Can you say that with me? God is never late. He's always on time because he's always on 
his time. Dang. <laughs> so, it's on his time. And when that time comes on that day, be ready. Just like Chad and Karis talked about last week with the wise virgins who had their lamps filled with extra oil for their bridegroom. Watching and praying involves a readiness. So don't be surprised when God moves on that day in your life. Be ready. Eat your Wheaties, because it could be that day. So now let's take a look at Anna. You know, what's amazing, this story, there's only three verses about this woman. These three verses reveal so much about her. We see from verse 36 that Anna was a prophet, the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and Anna was only a handful of women in the Bible who carried the title prophet, serving as spokespersons for God. So this is a big deal. And by the way, how beautiful that God used both a man and a woman to testify that this is the Messiah. And in this room, we have amazing women who are filled with the Spirit of God. And, and guys too. Okay. <laughs> so we know that Anna was the daughter of Phanuel, and her father's name, get this, this blows my mind, means face of God. Her dad's name means face of God. And we also know that she was from the tribe of Asher, which was one of the lost tribes of Israel after the exile. So God used someone who was on the margin to testify of the Messiah. The most remarkable thing about Anne is not even really where she came from or what she did after her husband died, but what she did when she was a young woman. There in verse 37, it says that she lived as a widow to the age of 84. Again, she never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. What? She never left the temple? Some historians said they, they, she probably had a place to stay there, like she had a cot. She stayed there day and night. She spent her whole life. Likely she would have been a, a young woman in her 20s when her husband died. And the scriptures say she was 84. You think you're waiting long? I can't even relate to this. I mean, I, how can I relate to a person who spends her whole life worshiping and praying in his presence, fasting day and night? I can't even skip a meal without some complaining. Simeon, Anna, they, they teach us something about watching and waiting. Her life story, captured in these few verses, is marked by worshiping God, fasting and prayer. Her whole life is marked by watching and praying, actively waiting in the presence of God. She, again, she was a young woman when her husband died, and she waited decade after decade. She kept worshiping. She kept fasting. She kept praying. She didn't give up. She got grit. She's got some grit. Angela Duckworth wrote a great book called Grit. And you know, some of us, we just need a little grit. Anna, she's got some grit. And then it happened on that day for her. Anna, the daughter of Faneuil, saw the face of God. Oh, that's my dad's name. Face of God. So verse 38, she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph and she began praising God. Can you imagine what that moment must have been like for her? Likely she had seen hundreds, maybe thousands of people, husbands and wives bringing their babies for that ritual I talked about. <laughs> but on that day when this humble carpenter 
this young woman, Mary, this baby passed by. She was like, oh, dang, that's it. That's it. That's him. This is what I imagined. I mean, she starts suddenly praising God, but I've got this crazy imagination. It's him. It's like, that's him. I've waited my whole life for this. I've seen the face of God. Our waiting is over. Our deliverer is here. You know, and Anna, she wasn't alone in her expectant waiting. It says the people of God also have been waiting for hundreds of years. I mean, for this day, for that promised day. Verse 38, Anna talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Sometimes you think you're the only one waiting for that thing. There are others waiting, okay? You are not alone in your waiting. So I want to talk about just three things that we can learn about how they waited with God and how they watched and prayed. First thing is watch and pray in the promises of God. When you wait on God's promises, you can count on that he will fulfill them. He does not go back on his word. You, you doubt? Why don't you, why don't you say to the Lord, yeah, yeah, you're not gonna go, you're, you're not gonna fulfill your word. He does not go back on his word. One of the promises that God gave me years ago is Deuteronomy 31.8. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He takes this personally, this whole promise thing. He will be with you. He will never fail you nor abandon you. And I've taken that promise personally. I hear, Ron, don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid, for I will personally go ahead of you. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor abandon you. You feel alone right now? I want to, I want to assure you today that the Lord is with you. You may not feel it, because sometimes our feelings betray us, right? But he is, he is with you. So watch and pray in the promises of God. The second thing we can learn from him is watch and pray in the worship of God. In your waiting, step into the presence of God. Praise him, thank him, talk to him, listen to him. Even in the darkest of times when the night seems so long and you can barely hang on. He is a God who waits with you. <laughs> I've been there. And the truth is, when you wait with God, you learn that time takes on a whole other dimension. No longer are you waiting for God to meet your schedule. You surrender to his time because he's the God beyond time. And he's always on time. So when we wait expectantly, when we actively wait with God, when we kavah, when we we're, be ready, because on that day, deliverer, your deliverer will come. Watch and pray in the worship of God. And you get to do that with your family and friends here. You get to do that on your knees at home. You get to do that with the people you do life with in your group. Watch and pray in the community of God. That's the third thing we learn. Watch and pray in the community of God. And in your waiting, don't do it alone. Simeon and Anna were part of a loving community. They eagerly expected the Messiah with others. That's the one of the things I love about this community. During our dark times a few years ago, you watched and prayed with us. And thankfully, I can testify that God did heal Sharon of her nagging condition. Of course, she's got other stuff because we're older, right? So there's always something to wait on. Uh, God gave me a fulfilling career. 
and a new company to work for. Shout out to my boss, Mike Evans, and his beautiful wife, Sherry. So thank you guys for coming. Um, and my friends who are here and, and family, um, you waited with us and we're grateful for you. So look around. You, you watch and pray in the community of God. Okay, now the second story I want to share with you, <laughs> this has to do with this star, which is not working and it's part of the story. We've had this star for over 30 years. This is called a Moravian star and it should turn on, but it's not today. And that's always kind of what I love about it. It's a Moravian star. <laughs> I'm always fiddling with it, but we've had it for over 30 years. And uh, this star's hung out in front of our house for many years. Now we brought it inside because we love it so much. We just like looking at it. And it's... Uh, you see them all over houses in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where Sharon's from, and where many Moravians live today. And uh, I didn't really know the real story about the Moravians until recently. The Moravian movement, are you guys ready for a little history? This is going to blow your mind, okay? Some of you already know this story, but it started in the 15th century in Eastern Europe by this dude named Jan Hus, or Jan Hus, I'm not sure. And he objected to some of the practices of the dominant church. He, just, he wanted the liturgy to be celebrated in his native language. He wanted to be able to, for people to perceive the bread and wine in communion. These, aren't like, these were normal things that he would hope for his people. He wanted to eliminate indulgences and the concept of purgatory. These were some things that kind of got in the way of the gospel. And tragically, uh, John or Jan, was burned at the stake as a heretic for his beliefs. Now, we're not going to do a Christmas message around that because that's not, you don't want that today. But the movement founded, that he founded, continued to grow despite religious persecution. And some of those were exiled from Moravia in 1722 thanks to this, this very rich count named Count Nicholas von Zinzentorp. He's actually got like five words in his name. And you can Google it and look it up. But this man, he had a heart. Um, he, when he was six years old, he would write letters to Jesus and throw them out the window. And, and it, he, as a young man, he just had this burning heart. And he had a dream to see a community of people living together. So these exiled Moravians, he said, come live on my estate. And they formed a community called the Hernhut community, which, get this, means the Lord's Watch. So... So he invites them in, and it was this community of religious refugees. They, of course, were Moravians. Um, they were Lutherans. They were Reformed people, Baptists, and even Catholic believers, and they were all living together. But you know how things go when you get religious people with different beliefs. Once the honeymoon was over, there, let's just say there were some disagreements, and things weren't going so well, and so Count Zinventorf would walk down the road, This isn't going so well. And so he, he worked with them. He would go house to house and have conversations with them, which led to an agreement they made, a brotherly agreement. And uh, I wanted to share some of this with you because they agreed to a common set of beliefs and practices. And I just want to list a few of them because I want you to think about our community as we listen to this. And I kind of love the old language too. So here's one of them. The triune God is revealed by the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments is the only source of our life and salvation. And this scripture is the sole standard of the doctrine and faith of the unitus fratrum, which is what they call themselves, and therefore shapes our lives. Here's another one. The Bible shall be our constant study. 
we shall read it with prayer for the influence and teaching by the Holy Spirit. Here's another one. We will faithfully attend the service in the house of God. Andrew, you're going to love this. (laughs) And any special services that may be held in connection with our church, we will be diligent in private prayer and with practice and encourage family worship. Trey, kids, family worship. We got that covered. And then here's another one. Think about seat of the table next week. Again, Andrew did not, this is not a paid endorsement of seat of the table. Okay. As stewards of the gifts of God, we will support and spread the gospel at home and abroad by means of our tithes and free will offerings. Now, there were some other ones in there, like they would avoid all forms of amusements. And I was like, I don't think I'd make a good Moravian. So there's some other ones in there. You'll have to read it. But I got to tell you, this, this, uh, this shared commitment they made, this covenant was powerful. It was unifying And so after this group sought to unify their beliefs and practices, something else happened two months later. You ready for this? On August 13, 1727, during a communion service, just like today, the Moravian community was overcome and filled with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There was an overwhelming sense of nearness to Christ that gave, it is poured out on everyone present. And even two members who were back at Hernhut because they went to this other church for, these, these two get blown up by the Holy Service at the same time. And so history records that after the community left the communion service at noon, people were left wondering whether they belonged on earth or already had gone to heaven. <laughs> I know, right? This is crazy. So here's some, these are real life testimonies from that day. That day, remember? That day. We saw the hand of God and were all baptized with his Holy Spirit. From that time, scarcely a day passed, but we beheld the almighty workings amongst us. A great hunger last night or last week, Chad and Harris talked about that hunger. A great hunger after the word of God took possession of us so that we had to have three services a day. 5 a.m., 7.30 a.m., and 9 p.m. I think I had been at those first two services, but by 9 o'clock, I think I had been toast. They, they wanted to gather. Uh, here's another one. Everyone desired above everything else that the Holy Spirit might have full control. And then this one, this, this is the one that I was thinking about this year with our uh, the turning aside and thinking about moving from a self-centered uh, faith to one that would be Jesus-centered. Listen to this. Self-love and self-will, as well as all disobedience, disappeared, and an overwhelming flood of grace swept us all out into the great ocean of divine love. I could just be done with that. Don't you want that? So what did they do with this overwhelming love? What did they do with this overwhelming presence of God? They committed to watch and pray. A few months later, actually a few weeks later, and this, by the way, the kids also had, this happened to their children too. A few days after this happened, it happened to the children. And then on August 27th, there was such a hunger, such unity, 24 men and 24 women covenanted to spend one hour each in scheduled prayer in a prayer vigil, what the Moravians called a prayer watch. Others joined to keep the continue prayer watch going. 
nonstop and get this. This is, when I first read this, I thought this was a typo. A hundred years. hundred years. They watched and prayed for a hundred years. A hundred years. Just for fun, I did a little math. I'm not a math guy, but I, I thought I'd gonna give this a shot so you all can fact check me, all your math folks. Okay, 100 years is 1,200 months. That's pretty good, right? I think I can handle that. 36,525 days or 876,000 hours that they partnered together and they watched and prayed. And before you think this is like just boring, they're all hanging out in prayer, listen to the fruit of their prayer watch. You ready for this? This was the first Protestant church body to begin missionary work. By 1791, 65 years later, the Moravians had sent 300 missionaries to carry the good news to nearly every country in Europe, but also to many indigenous tribes in North and South America, Asia, and Africa. There were more missionaries than the whole evangelical church had done in two centuries. Came from this little town, Hernhut, the Lord's Watch. Some people even sold themselves into slavery just so they could get there so they could carry the good news to regions. And again, you can look at all this up and you can fact check me all you want, okay? The Moravians inspired John Wesley. Heard of John Wesley? The founder of the Methodist movement. William Carey, heard of him? The pioneer to reach the people of India. I mean, the father, what we would think is the father of modern day, modern day missions. He, he cites the Moravians. The Hernhood community became a spiritual retreat center. People were like, we got to go there. We got to check this out. So they were visited by people from all over Europe. You, folks, these, are, these were peasants. These, these were regular folk like us. Just, they, they were so hungry. They wanted to be together. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just amazing. So look at what can happen to a small community of people united in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at a community who can watch and pray. So what about us? Antioch, Indy. Like the people of Hernhut, our community is about 300-ish with many various backgrounds. We're, we're spiritual refugees too. Like the Moravians on August 13, 1727 to mark the revival of their community, I believe we had such a date. November 14th, 2021, the last day of the Kingdom Conference. If you were here, you'll know the Holy Spirit broke out in the service following communion and worship. And like the Moravians, we kept worshiping, we kept praying. There was a deep reverence, there was a deep repentance, love for one another, and people, people eagerly waiting for God to do what's next. And honestly, something happened to me that I can't explain to borrow from Brandon Seabird's description, I had some major FaceTime with God. <laughs> Flat out on the floor. I'm an old Presbyterian. We didn't do this growing up. <laughs> and during that time, there was some crazy intercession happening through me. Like stuff I can't even explain. Words coming out of my mouth that I didn't even know it was, they were words. But it was for the church. It was for unity. It was for the nations. It was praying for you all for us to reach the nations. Now, I didn't hear anything about people being sold into slavery, so you can just settle down, okay? But I did hear 
that we, this, this community is called to reach the nations. And we're part of a movement. We're part of this Antioch church planning movement. So it's not like we're the first community, but something happened. We witnessed 20 people, and Sharon and I were there. We're standing up, either being commissioned or recommissioned for ministry. Friends, we can't miss this moment. We can't. We've got to continue to watch and pray. For the Lord is about to do and is doing amazing things. Wait expectantly with God. Psalm 130, again, I wait for the Lord. We wait for the Lord. Our soul waits. And in his word, we put our hope. Our soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. So how will we watch and pray? Again, just a summary. We watch and pray in the worship of God. We watch and pray in the promises of God. And we watch and pray in the community of God. And when we do this together, when we watch and pray together, I hope that we will be a community known for our love. When people say, what is, talk about, what's this Antioch Indie? They'll go, oh, these people love one another. Like they love Jesus and they love one another. And you gotta come here because you gotta experience some of this. I mean, people came from all over Europe to come to their Hoonhut community. They, I, that we would be a community sold out to Jesus, a community to open to see, to receive the nations in our community. We have the nations right around us and also to be sent to the nations. And I believe some of the people who are to be sent are right here in this room, that we will see something happen, but it won't come out of our strength. It'll come out of us watching and waiting. So what are we waiting for? Is it worth the wait? Let's pray, and I'm gonna have Andrew come on up. And Ben, if you wanna come up too. Um, we don't wanna miss this moment, God. We wanna kavah. We wanna wait expectantly, tiptoes, on tiptoes for what you are doing. And yet, God, I know, I know waiting is hard. And I know there's people in this room that are having a hard time waiting. They're discouraged. It may be for healing, that nagging issue that just won't go away. Maybe there's emotional healing. Maybe there's a mental health that is just like, I can't break through this. For relationships, you've got a, a relationship that's it's unreconciled. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a wayward child. You know, and you've been waiting. You've been waiting for the dawn. Maybe it's direction, your future, where you're going to go to college, a job, a decision, and you're waiting. You're waiting for provision. You're not sure how you're going to pay the bills this month. You're not sure if you've got adequate housing. Or maybe it's just breakthrough. You're just stuck. You're just stuck. And you're waiting for real, real lasting change. We want to wait with you together. So if that's you, prayer team, if you could come up. We want to wait with you together. And um, we want to pray for you.